Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge, its encouragement, its life-giving potential. And we pray, Lord, this morning that I would be a faithful teacher of your word and that we would be faithful hearers of your word, hearing with faith and obeying. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to concentrate this morning on Romans 8 and refer briefly to Ephesians 6. First, though, can you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 50? Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. And for three weeks, today being the third, we have paused in our studies in Mark to consider the seriousness of sin. Next Sunday, we'll resume our regular preaching through Mark's text. Now, the passage in Mark that has caused us or led us to press pause and consider the seriousness of sin is chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. The language Jesus uses is extraordinarily direct, shocking. For example, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. The Lord Jesus' intention is to wake us up to the seriousness of sin. Now, in week one, we considered how sin must lead us all to Jesus for forgiveness, for salvation. Last week, we began to look at the subject of taking sin seriously in our lives as Christians, in our lives as forgiven sinners, the need to still take sin seriously. We thought about how sin impacts our relationship with God about how our sin hinders our serving of others with the gifts God has given us, and about how our sin steals our joy in the Lord personally, robs us of peace and assurance. We thought about what sin is in the Christian life, the obvious sins, the respectable sins, A number of you have asked questions in light of last week's talk, and I'll answer these in print, God willing, over the coming weeks. But I want us to turn now to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, and consider how we deal with sin in our lives as Christians. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. How do we deal with sin? in our life as Christians. We know we need to. We know it's an ongoing issue for us in the Christian life. We know that our sin impacts our relationship with God, with others, and robs us personally of joy in the Lord. 
contentment in the Lord. But how practically do we deal with it? Can we make progress? Or are we stuck in a rut? Very practically, picking up bite size. God has gifted us to serve others. Can we make progress in using the gifts that God has given us to serve others with more of a servant heart? To bring more blessing into other people's lives? Now, Romans chapter 8 follows, and the context is Romans chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Paul has been reflecting on the ongoing battle with sin in the life of the Christian. His conclusion at the end of chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, read that with me. Verse 21 of chapter 7, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And remember, Paul is writing here as a Christian. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, my body, think of Mark, my hands, my feet, my eyes, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, it's not hard, I think, to get the heart out of what Paul is saying here because it is such an accurate picture of the Christian life. As Christians, we can identify, we can resonate with Paul's experience here as a Christian. He wants to do what's right. I want to do what's right. You want to do what's right as a Christian, but evil and temptation are so close at hand. Paul delights in the law of God, the word of God, in his inner being. Notice that phrase, in his inner being. Delighting in the word of God is fundamentally who he is. It's the righteous man of Psalm 1 who delights in the word of God. That's who Paul as a Christian is in his inner being. That's who he fundamentally is. But as he considers his life, and as you consider your life as a Christian, and as I consider my life as a Christian, sin still has power. Sin dwells in my members, in my body. To use the language of Jesus in Mark, my feet are still sinful. They take me to places I shouldn't go. My hands are still sinful. I do things with them I should not do. My eyes are still sinful. I look at things I should not look at. I can't help it. And what Paul describes is a battle he talks about waging war and being captive to the law of sin. It is a battle, and he is. At the end of Romans 7, where you and I are quite often battle-weary, 
there is despair in his words. Wretched man that I am. I think these words are most powerfully understood. Wretched man that I am, not contemplating theoretically the battle that goes on in my new life in God with the old sinful self that remains. But the words, wretched man that I am, or wretched woman that I am, whether old or young, are words that are expressive of a Christian who has fallen again to temptation, to sin. Now, this is real Christian experience. How do we make progress in the battle with sin? How do we deal with sin in our lives as Christians? Paul is desperate for the answer. God has inspired him with the answer, and Paul is desperate to tell us the answer. Paul's answer is Romans 8. And he says two things. I want us to see two things this morning. First, and this is so important, Paul says, you need to understand who you are as a Christian. You need to get clear in your mind who you are as a Christian. And then second, by the Spirit, kill sin in your life. And that's the language he uses, kill sin, put to death the deeds of the body. It's the same language as Mark. It's, it's, it's very severe. It's very strong. Understanding who we are as Christians, that must come first. That's verses 1 to 11 of Romans 8. And then comes the application in verses 12 to 13. Understanding who you are as a Christian. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Now first, and very importantly, and please work with me. Please listen again if you don't get this the first time. Talk to others in the Zoom groups. Clarify our understanding together. Understand who you are as a Christian. Read with me from verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. As a Christian, you have been saved from the penalty for sin. There is therefore now, right now, as you sit in your home on this day in your life, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is God's judgment for sin. 
everlasting judgment in hell. For the Christian, there is no condemnation. How can that be? Or as Wesley puts it, and can it be? Not because of anything you have done. No condemnation for you because your condemnation was borne by Jesus. No hell for you because your hell was borne by Jesus when he died. And that is amazing. It is wonderful. And so Wesley begins his hymn almost quietly. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? And the conclusion of his great hymn, No Condemnation, Now I Dread. Jesus, and all in him is mine. And so as you battle with sin in your life as a Christian, understand this, that sin with which you battle today, that sin with which you battled yesterday, that sin that you lost out to in the battle yesterday, that sin that you won in the battle that sin that you will keep on battling with cannot condemn you because you have believed in Jesus that he died for you, bearing your condemnation, the sin that you still battle with in your life as a Christian cannot condemn you. Let me just pause and straight from my heart as your pastor Many of you over the years have said, will God forgive me that? Yes is the answer. Do not let the devil ever, ever tempt you to think that that sin, whatever it is, even if it would shock other people to know it, if you have come to Christ, and asked him for forgiveness of your sins. That sin cannot condemn you. Now, what difference does that make that we have been saved from the penalty for sin? It means we fight sin in our lives as Christians, as we must in the full assurance of our salvation. And that makes all the difference in the world. For the Christian, there is no condemnation. You have been saved from the penalty for sin. Now, read with me verses 1 to 3 again, and then we'll continue to verse uh, 4. Verse 1 again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And read on, in order that the righteous 
requirements of the law might be fulfilled, and here are the key words, in us. In us. Who walk, that means life and living, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that the Christian is not only saved from the penalty for sin, but from the power of sin in our lives. Jesus died in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, not just for us, but in us. We are not just declared to be righteous in God's sight. We are made to be righteous by God's Spirit that is righteousness indwelling us. Now, I'm jumping ahead. Let's follow through with what Paul says, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Christian are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, in these verses, Paul is quite clear, and this is what we need to take into our minds and hearts. Paul is quite clear that as Christians, there has been a fundamental change in who we are. Now, he says that in a number of different ways. Verse 5, the Christian is someone who walks or lives not any longer according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 6, the Christian is someone who does not set their mind on the flesh, but sets their mind on the Spirit. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's who we were before we became Christians. In verse 9, you, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, what Paul is saying here is that a fundamental change has taken place in our nature or in our inner being. We are no longer controlled by our sinful nature. We are now controlled by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Dwells means lives in us the Holy Spirit, who is a person, lives in us, in our bodies. That's why the New Testament refers to our bodies being the temple of the Spirit. It's extraordinary 
It's wonderful that the living God lives in us through his Spirit, that the righteousness of God is in us, that the righteousness of Jesus is in us. And because the living God lives in us through his Spirit, the battle for who we fundamentally are has been won. The decisive battle has been won, the battle that won the war. We are in Christ, and he is in us. And nothing can take the indwelling Spirit out of us. Nothing can displace the Spirit's control of our soul. Or nothing can displace the Spirit's control of our new nature. Now, here's an important point. In our lives as Christians, it might not always feel like that. In fact, it often doesn't. It feels like Romans 7. It's like there's a a kind of battle going on of equal sides can often feel like our sinful nature is as powerful as our divine nature, the indwelling spirit. But it's not true, Paul says to us. Our inner being is Christ's. We are in Christ. And he is in us by his spirit. Here's an illustration. Imagine a ship in enemy hands under enemy control. The ship is sailing in the wrong direction. But then the ship is stormed. It is invaded. And the bridge, the control center of the ship is captured. And that is decisive. Capture the bridge. And victory is assured. The ship is now sailing in the right direction. But there is a lot of fighting still to be done. Different parts of the ship are still in enemy hands, holding out, fighting hard, pockets of resistance all over the ship. And the battle must be taken to these strongholds to disarm them. But because the bridge is taken, there is a confidence when that battle is waged and there is an inevitability that there will come a time when every single bit of the ship, every cabin, every deck, every corner, every rivet is secured. And so it is in the Christian's life. The Holy Spirit has the bridge. The Holy Spirit has the controls. Our lives are headed in the right direction. The battle with sin in different areas of our life goes on, but we fight in the confidence that the bridge is taken, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We have a new nature as fundamentally who we are. And like the bridge, our souls are secured. And the power that indwells us is greater than the power that tempts us to sin. For the Christian, there is no condemnation. Saved from the penalty for sin, for the Christian, there is transformation through the indwelling spirit. 
that saves us from the power of sin. One more wonderful truth about what it means to be a Christian. For the Christian, there is future glory saved from the very presence of sin. That's verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And Paul is talking about the future resurrection of our bodies in the new creation. Perfect bodies in a perfect new creation where our bodies, our feet, our hands, our eyes, Our minds will be free from the presence of sin. Wretched man that I am. That is how we feel often in the Christian life. To which Paul responds, to his own soul and to yours and mine as a Christian. For you there is no condemnation. You are saved from the penalty for sin. That sin that you have just succumbed to will not condemn you. And for you, there is transformation through the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit has the bridge. The indwelling Spirit is your new nature. You're saved from the power of sin. And for the Christian, there is the guarantee of future glory saved from the presence of sin. Now, the course of the Christian life has been set, and nothing can change that course. Later in Romans 8, Paul says this, for those whom God has justified. In other words, for those whom God has declared righteous and so are free from condemnation, he is also glorified. The course set at conversion is a course set for eternity. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. But that's not happened yet. So why is Paul mixing up his tenses? He doesn't say those whom he justified, he also will glorify. He says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's past tense because it is all rooted in the cross and the resurrection which has happened. And so we fight sin with absolute assurance. Now, Christian, with that understanding of who you are as Christians, and you need to talk with others to get it really clear in your head, with that understanding of who you are as a Christian. Paul now comes to the application in verses 12 and 13. So then, right then, come on then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. That's our old self, our sinful nature. We are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Christian is someone who by the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. It is a mark of who a Christian is. 
The deed to the body is the sin that is still part of us, the obvious sins and the respectable sins. Why are we to kill that sin? Because we owe nothing to it, because we owe nothing to our former self, our controlling sinful nature. It is on the way out. Our sinful nature has been mortally wounded through Jesus' death and resurrection. Our sinful nature is dying. Temptation is dying. And so Paul says, kill it. Kill it dead. Now, is there not a paradox here? On the one hand, killing sin is something Paul says you must do. Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body. But on the other hand, we are to do it by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is a person. He is God within us. Put to death the deeds of the body by means of God the Spirit. So evidently, the Spirit is a decisive killer. So are we to do it or is he to do it? Now, there is no contradiction. Who are we as Christians? The Christian is someone in whom the Spirit dwells. It's who we fundamentally are. So to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is not us and God each playing our part. It is not God and us. It is God in us killing sin. It is who we now are killing sin our effort, our zeal, our earnestness, our striving in killing sin is important. There is no casualness to this exercise, but we cannot separate our efforts from the Spirit because the Spirit is us. Sometimes we use language to describe the Christian life. I think that is confusing. So we speak of, for example, of not fighting sin in our own strength, but in God's strength. That would give the impression that the Holy Spirit is something out there. Or we talk about fighting sin in the power of God, not in our own power. That doesn't make any sense. We fight sin, we kill sin in God's strength and power that is now in us. And fundamentally who we are. Now, that's our run through Romans 8, 1 to 13. In the last uh, few minutes, what I want to do, and I'll write more about this, we'll talk about this, and, and we'll trust that as we go on in our studies in Mark and whatever comes next, Romans in the New Term and Proverbs at night, just bit by bit, God in his way will impress these truths into our lives. Very, very practically though, how then do you kill sin by the Spirit who dwells uh, in you? Now, there is no quick and neat answer to this. There is no mnemonic. There is no formula. This has got to be wrestled through in prayer in a church family as we talk with others and share our battles with each other. How practically do you kill sin by the Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in you? How do you do it? Firstly, through daily repentance. Daily repentance means that we keep on taking sin seriously in our lives. We keep facing up to sin in our lives, the obvious and the respectable. We keep thinking about our sin with respect to God, how it grieves Him. We keep thinking about our sin with respect to others. Are my gifts being used to serve and love them? What is the sin that inhibits me? 
We keep thinking about our sin with respect to ourselves. Our sin as Christians steals our joy in the Lord and robs us of peace and assurance. And that means daily repentance. Keep taking sin seriously. Keep facing up to sin. Killing sin by the Spirit through daily repentance and then killing sin by the Spirit through the Word of God. Notice in verses 5 and 6 of Romans 8, Paul speaks there of the flesh and the Spirit in contrast. And he says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit involves setting the mind on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 and 14 is the only other place in the New Testament where the phrase, the things of the Spirit, is used. Paul is talking about his own teaching as God-inspired words. He writes, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of the Spirit are the words of Jesus spoken through his apostles. Romans 8, 5 says that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. How do you deal with sin in your life as a Christian? Daily repentance and setting your minds on the things of the Spirit, the Word of God. Set your minds is emphatic. It is a matter of decision, of conviction, of commitment, determination, and seriousness. If verse 5 takes us to the Word of God, so also does verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit is our weapon to put to death the deeds of the body. Where else in the Bible is the Spirit spoken of as a weapon? In Ephesians 6, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the offensive weapon in the spiritual armor in the list of armor in Ephesians 6. The weapon the Spirit uses to kill sin is the Word of God. We are to wield the Word of God against sin. Killing by the Spirit means killing by the Word. Now, very practically, what do you do with the Word in order for the Spirit to be active like a sword? Galatians 3 and 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? These are extremely important words. Hearing 
with faith. We place a great deal of store on teaching the Bible well, but we need to place more emphasis, perhaps, on hearing Jesus' words with faith. Killing sin by the Spirit through daily repentance, killing sin by the Spirit through the Word of God, and then killing sin by the Spirit through prayer in Ephesians 6, alongside the Word of God is prayer. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We pray in the Spirit. It is the indwelling Spirit that gives us capacity and voice to pray. It is the Spirit that groans within us even when we cannot find the words to pray. What are we to pray in the Spirit with respect to sin? What is the Spirit within us grown with respect to sin? That setting our minds on the Word of God and wielding it as a sword, hearing the Word of God by faith, is how we kill sin in our lives. Now, the last comment. Practically, how do we kill sin in our lives as Christians? Through daily repentance, through the Word of God, by the Spirit through prayer, and think of the context of Ephesians 6. It's all about a church. We kill sin by the Spirit, by belonging to a local church, with the help of others in that local church. Speaking the truth in love. Listening to the truth spoken in love, praying for one another, honesty and accountability with one another, serious conversations about the seriousness of sin in our small groups on Sundays and one-to-ones. The question today for the Zoom groups after the service is this, how do I deal with sin in my life as a Christian? Or how do we deal with sin in our lives as Christians? With a sharper question, not for Zoom discussion groups, is a question perhaps for your small group or one-on-one. -on -one. Or the kind of question God asks to our hearts individually as we listen to his word preached. What is that sin that needs dealing with? Can I pray with you to help you deal with that sin? Can you pray for me? Now, there is much, much more we could say on this subject. 
As I said, I'll do some of that in writing in response to your questions, but much more importantly, by trusting that as we continue with Mark's gospel, working systematically through his text, and in Proverbs in the evenings, Jesus will continue this theme, applying it to our hearts by his Spirit, working with his Word on his terms and in his way. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that as a church family, we would be serious in our lives as Christians about sin. Father, thank you that the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans 7 just describes it as it is, how we often feel Thank you for the clarity of his teaching in Romans 8 as to who we are as Christians. No condemnation, saved from sin's penalty, transformation indwelt by the Holy Spirit who now controls our inner being, our nature, and with the promise of future glory where we will be free from the very presence of sin. And so will you help us, in light of who we are in Christ, to kill sin in our life and go on killing sin through daily repentance, through the Word of God, through wielding that word, through the hearing of faith, through praying, but never alone, because you have brought us into a family. And we pray that in time, those who have begun to listen to these live streams will become part of this real church family meeting together, being honest with each other, helping each other to make progress with sin. Lord, we pray that you would Help us all and keep us all keeping on for Jesus' sake. Amen.